Thanks for tuning in. Ham Talk Live will be on the air shortly. Please stand by. Thanks for tuning in. Ham Talk Live will be on the air shortly. Please stand by. This episode of Ham Talk Live is brought to you by Tower Electronics. For connectors, cables, and more, call 920-435-2973 or visit pl-259.com. And by ICOM. Heard it? Worked it? Logged it. Visit www.icomamerica.com slash amateur for more information about ICOM radios. It's Ham Radio. Good evening once again, ladies and gentlemen, it's time for another episode of Ham Talk Live. It's episode number 139, News and Views with CQ's Rich Moses and W2VU, recorded live on Thursday, November 1st, 2018. I'm your host, Neil Rapp, WB9VPG. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Ham Talk Live. Tonight... We're joined by Rich Moseson, W2VU from CQ Magazine, and we will take your calls live in just a few minutes. Last week here on the show, Glenn Petrie, KE4KY, and Gene Spinelli, K5GS, were here to talk about the Ducey Island de-expedition. We thank Gene for calling in live from the island last week. And if you missed that, you can still listen anytime at hamtalklive.com or you can check out our podcast edition on your favorite podcasting app. And we're also on YouTube. So a few announcements here uh, before we get started. Uh, This is your last chance to order the uh, limited edition Ham Talk Live t-shirt. The May the Grid Square Be Yours on the back. Um, We're getting ready to order those. So if you want your size, uh, you need to get that order in here in the next day. Um, We're getting ready to order those. I will order some extras, but... uh, to make sure that you have the uh, right size, uh, go ahead and pre-order there. Um, to do that, go to hamtalklive.com, click on the show schedule link, and there's also a link there for uh, the shirts. Or you can go to our Facebook or Twitter. Uh, it's the first thing when you land there on our Facebook page or Twitter feed. Um, and you can get a link to the Google form there to fill out to order that. So uh, make sure you do that if you're interested in one of those. And also a reminder that the AWRL division director ballots uh, should have arrived in the mail by now. So if you're an ARRL member in the Central, Hudson, New England, Northwestern, or Roanoke divisions, you should have a ballot. So be sure to vote. And those are back uh, due back in Newington by November 16th. So check your mail, and if you didn't receive that, make sure you let the ARRL staff know, because otherwise they're just going to assume there's nothing wrong. So make sure you get out there and vote. 
So get your questions ready to go. We're going to talk uh, a variety of topics here. Uh, but you can give us a call. The phone number is 812-NET-TAM-1, 812-638-4261. And you can also tweet us. We're at HamTalkLive on Twitter. And if you were following along, Skype's making some some changes in their software, and and the new software isn't uh, doing what we need it to. So we were a little worried about uh, taking calls on tonight's show, and we did get a backup plan in place, but... So far, Skype is, is behaving. So um, Skype's cooperating with us tonight. So you can, you can call in the usual number, 812-638-4261. After we talk to Rich for a little while and uh, ask your questions, right after this word from Tower Electronics right here on Ham Talk Live. Hey, honey, have you seen the PL259s anywhere? No, I haven't. Come on, kids. Let's go. There's just one place to go for all of your connector needs. Tower Electronics. Tower Electronics. Tower Electronics. A giant warehouse of connectors and adapters for every occasion. Thousands to choose from in every shape, size, and color. And they have antennas, soldering supplies, cables, meters, and more. Where do you go if you want to buy a connector at a fraction of retail cost? Tower Electronics. Tower Electronics. Tower Electronics. And this weekend only, take advantage of our special liquidation sale. Buy nine solder-type PL259s. Get the 10th one for just one penny. They make great Christmas presents. And what better way to say I love you than with the gift of a PL259? Tower Electronics. Tower Electronics. Tower Electronics. Hi, I'm Scott Cole, KB9AMM, president of Tower Electronics. I like the company so much that I bought it. Tower Electronics, coming to a ham fest near you or online at pl-259.com. And we're in the yellow pages under Amateur Radio Connectors. My, wherever did you get that lovely PL-259? Tower Electronics, pl-259.com, or call 920-435-2973. Do we sell PL-259 connectors? Coming up, the HamFest schedule for Tower Electronics, Lawrenceville, Georgia, or better known as Stone Mountain, this weekend, November 3rd and 4th, November 9th and 10th, Montgomery, Alabama, and November 17th and 18th, Fort Wayne, Indiana, or you can visit them anytime at pl-259.com. Rich Moseson, W2VU, is our guest tonight. He is the editor of CQ Magazine and the editorial director at CQ Communications Incorporated. He's been a ham since, <clears throat> sorry, he's been a ham since 1970. Um, was previously WN2QQN, WA2QQN, N2BFG, and NW2L. He's active on all bands from 80 all the way to 70 centimeters. And uh, Rich served uh, eight years as a, an ARL section manager for the Northern New Jersey section and a former member of 
and past chairman of the ARRL Public Relations Committee. Uh, he's been a CQ staffer since 1992 and was the founding editor of CQ VHF magazine and um, wrote and produced the seven introductory ham radio programs in the CQ video library and was CQ Magazine's 50th anniversary coordinator in 1995. And we haven't had him on the show yet. So, uh, Rich, thanks for coming on the show tonight. Good evening, Neil. It's great to be here. And uh, I, our, you mentioned the 50th anniversary. Uh, we're coming up on our 75th very soon. Oh, uh, wow. So it's, uh, time flies when you're having fun. Yeah. Speaking so of having fun, that, I hope I everybody... Uh, we're working on it. We're working on it, and anybody has specific ideas, we're, we're listening. Um, and uh, speaking of fun, I hope uh, a lot of people out there had fun in the CQ Worldwide DX contest this past weekend. Uh, I know I did. Yeah, I did too. It was a lot of fun. We had a chance to talk about it a little bit before the show, and uh, probably talk about it a little bit more here uh, in just a bit, but I uh, hope everybody did uh enjoy that and get some more uh, countries in the log and, and some contacts. Well, uh, we're, we've got a, a, a variety of topics here to, to talk about tonight, and, and one of them that uh, has come up um, is this um, type acceptance issue. Uh, the FCC uh, came along and, and issued kind of a warning that, you know, if, if radios weren't properly uh, type accepted and approved that, um, those weren't going to be allowed to be imported. And so, um, then some news came out that they were kind of backing off of it. And then it was all kind of wishy-washy. So, uh, fill us in a little bit on, on what we know about that. And, and, you know, some people have been kind of arguing back and forth. Well, those are, those are illegal and no, they're not. And yes, they are. No, they're not. And, so, so give us the rundown a little bit on that. Well, it's it's kind of difficult because nobody really knows exactly what's going on. I mean, the league has been talking with the FCC people about getting some clarification from them, and uh, you know, as of the executive committee meeting um, about a week and a half ago, they still hadn't heard anything back, and uh, the ARRL letter that came out today reported on that meeting and didn't have any updates, so I presume they still haven't gotten a clarification. Um, you know, what's different here is is that in the past, the FC and it's long-standing FCC policy that any radios imported, marketed, sold um, have to be authorized. You used to call it type acceptance, now it's equipment authorization. Um, and the only exception being stuff specifically for ham use uh, that gives us the flexibility to experiment and build our own gear. I mean, we, you know, we're, we're extremely lucky as hams that we're the only people with licenses to transmit on the radio who get to build our own gear without having it have go through FCC certification process and stuff like that. Um, but the, this new notice that came out, uh, I guess about five or six weeks ago now, um, says that in addition to importing or selling them, because, it says because these devices must be but have not been authorized by the FCC, the devices may not be imported into the United States, retailers may not advertise or sell them, and no one may use them. And that is 
what's different than from the past. Um, the guidance from the FCC had always been that if something is, if a, if a radio is designed for use on the amateur bands and is not type accepted and operates outside the amateur bands, it's still legal for hams to use it on the ham bands. And this notice seems to change that. And, but it's not super clear because later on, you know, it says unless the devices operate exclusively on frequencies reserved for amateur licensees. Um, equipment yeah, that does so we not don't know. comply with the technical requirements cannot be certified and thus cannot be imported, advertised, sold, or used. And then there's the amateur radio exception. But it really isn't clear as to what they mean in terms of hams using these radios on amateur frequencies for which equipment authorization is not required. So it's, it's really very mucky. Um, <laughs> to say and, the least. Uh, yeah. And, and, you know, the league has been going after the, the FCC to clarify this and they haven't gotten any clarification from them. Um, so it, it's it's murky. Uh, I wouldn't say don't use the radios on the ham bands. You know, the, I, I laughed when I saw the thing in, in this announcement that said, uh, the Bureau will take very seriously any reports of failures of two-way radio operators to comply with all relevant rules and requirements when using devices in the amateur bands. Give me a break. They don't enforce anything in the amateur bands. We, we don't, they don't enforce what you... You know, interference and things like that, they're, they're absent when it comes to enforcement. And how are they going to know what brand radio you're using if you're using it in the amateur band? Um, you know, there's, I suppose if they wanted to really invest a tremendous amount of resources into it, they're, they're, we, we've run an article in the past in CQ on radio fingerprinting. Um, every radio has its own key up characteristics and if they really wanted to get on a repeater and listen and figure out what brand of radio everybody's using i suppose that technically they could do it but we know they don't have the resources for that they don't have the resources to do the enforcement we want them to be doing so i i, I laughed when i saw that um yeah, they're not the, going the to 50,000 new uh fcc agents yeah, you know, exactly. we'll get out there and start scanning the streets for those. Yeah, um, <laughs> you know, my personal view—I'm—I'm I'm not a lawyer. Um, I can't give legal advice. My personal view is that if you're operating on amateur frequencies and you're operating legally, you have nothing to worry about. Um, we'll see what the commission eventually tells the league, but it's kind of silly. Um, and, you know, we've also had for a long time the flexibility to be able to operate our radios in certain cases off of amateur frequencies. For example, members of Mars um, do not operate on amateur frequencies when they're acting as Mars members. The Mars frequencies are just off, you know, just outside the amateur bands, for example, on uh, 
the two meter band, I believe the Mars frequencies are just above 148. Um, so if you're authorized to operate in Mars, then you're authorized to operate on the frequency. And, and again, there is no practical way for the FCC to know what brand of radio you're using or what model of radio you're using. And as long as you're operating legally, uh, otherwise, you know, um, I can't imagine that there would be any real problem. Um, but as far as, as, you know, are these radios legal to use? We have to wait to eventually get clarification from the FCC. If you want to be super careful about it, use it to listen. Um, actually, if you read that very closely, you can't even use it to listen. It says you may not use it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> okay, FCC, I've got one of those radios and I use it to listen. Come get me. <laughs> now, do you think they were talking about like just ones in the future? You think they were just talking about importing them you know in the future or you really think they were no they're talking about back. they're talking about radios that are out there now but the the real concern is that there are radios that are being marketed as amateur gear but really being promoted for use outside the amateur bands um whether it's you know frs or mers or um, gmrs um, or frequencies that, that are not authorized for general usage. Um, that's, that's the real problem. And there is a real problem there, that these radios, you know, certain radios are kind of wide open, and you can transmit anywhere with them. And if you don't have the proper licensing and don't know the regulations regarding what frequencies are okay to use and what frequencies are not okay to use um, and what radios are okay to use, then, then yes, there are a lot of potential interference problems and stuff like that. So it's a valid concern. Um, basically, I think they're trying to push these manufacturers to get them the equipment certified um, and to restrict access to frequencies that are not intended for use by members of the public, whether they be amateurs or users of FRS or GMRS, um, to, to restrict the operation to the proper frequencies. Um, this appears to be an overly broad interpretation of their longstanding rule. I mean, you know, this is not a new thing. There have been a lot of radios out there that for years and years and years, uh, ever since synthesizers replaced crystals, that, uh, you know, there's been stuff available online, as long as there's been an online. And even before that, there were other places where you could get, you know, information on how to clip this diode out of your radio and open up transmit on the entire frequency coverage of the radio. Um, so this is not something new. The fact that they are making a big deal out of the situation is fairly new. There is a real problem. Um, it's not a problem on the ham bands. It's a problem with 
radios being used for unauthorized purposes that are being marketed as ham rigs, um, but not actually being limited to the ham bands. Um, so there, there is a real problem. They're not just doing this to harass people. There, there definitely is a real problem. But the solution that they have out here right now is overly broad, in my view. Yeah, I, I've noticed a few people, you know, and I, I would mention something about, uh, you know, the radio and, and, you know, something ham related. And they're like, huh? Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, they don't even know what they have. Exactly. And I can't believe that we got through that entire segment without playing the the Baofeng clip. How did we do that? There you go. Oh, you I, go. oh I said it. You said it. Okay. There's the running gag for those of you playing along at home. We, we, we got it in there. So, Well, let's switch a little bit over to uh, WWV. Um, I know uh, I got, uh, and, and, and somehow, I, I didn't tell you this, but somehow I think I got on the CQ mailing list like six times. At different addresses. So every time I get one of these mailings, I get it like six times. And so about six times I got this email about be sure to sign the petition for WWV, which I already had, but uh, I know you guys were really encouraging people to sign the petitions to, to keep WWV around. And it just kind of came out of nowhere of, Oh, let's, uh, let, let's make some budget cuts. Let's let's turn off WWV. So, uh, you tried to do some some reporting on that and find out some things. I also did for Amateur Radio Newsline. I I tried to contact several different people. And Rich, what did we come up with? Uh, this there is about as much clear information on this as there is on the FCC's. Uh, restrictions on the imported radios that I won't mention by name. Uh, it, it's another one of these stories where there is not a lot of, of authoritative information out there as to the status. And it's one thing I want to mention. In addition to that petition, which we did encourage people to sign at the time, we really encouraged people to, to contact their congressional representatives because that is really the, where the decisions will be made. The petitions would would only, if they had gotten enough signatures, which they didn't, um, basically would have would have waved a little flag in front of uh, the Secretary of Commerce to say, "Hey, there's a bunch of people out here who uh, have a problem with what you're proposing." The actual decisions on budget and on funding are made by Congress, uh, specifically, particularly the House of Representatives. Um, so it's really important to get in touch with your representatives in Congress. They're kind of busy right now trying to get reelected, but uh, hopefully their staff members will be uh, available to talk with you. Um, and, and let them know just how important the services provided by WWV and WWVH and WWVB really are. Uh, you know, it's not just us hams who are going to be affected by this shutdown. If you have 
one of these self-setting watches or clocks, these so-called atomic clocks that aren't really, um, <laughs> they all rely on WWVB to keep their time set. There are some varieties of clocks that actually use WWV signals, um, but they do it over the air from WWVB generally, and they will not be have their, their time synchronized if WWVB goes away. Um, you know, the National Institute of Standards and Technology sends out time signals over the internet, which is wonderful if you have internet access. But we're not always in places where we have internet access. And there are times when the internet goes away, as we hams all know. Um, so it's, it's really important to continue to have this. The, the amount of money they would save is pocket change in the overall NIST budget. And the, the, the um, logic in the budget proposal was, was really kind of mind-boggling because they would say at one point that, you know, what we that the services we provide can't be duplicated by anyone else and they're very important. And then two paragraphs down, they say, so we're going to get rid of them. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it was, it, it, reading this was, it was an exercise in doublespeak. Um, and uh, really kind, kind of, very strange logic, if you can even call it that, because there wasn't really much logic behind it. Um, As I was reading that, uh, it was like, okay, they're telling the importance of this, and then they turn around and say, okay, we're going to turn it off. It right. was almost like, to me, it was like, here's how really important this thing is, and 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 you're forcing us to cut our budget. So we're going to, you know, we're going to turn this thing off. It's almost like they were trying to tell somebody, okay, you don't want to cut our budget. Yeah. I, that's the impression I have as well is that, uh, it was not a voluntary thing. I, I have a, a feeling they must have gotten the directive from the department of commerce under which NIST resides to you know cut your budget by 15 percent and uh that this is is you know what they've come up with and you know essentially sometimes people in the federal government particularly in the agencies will resist a blanket request or or you know directive to cut their budgets by threatening to cut or proposing to cut things that are really essential and then hoping that with their explanations in their proposal as to cut them, um, that members of Congress will say, well, you can't possibly cut this. It's too important and restore the money. Um, so, Hopefully that's that's what their purpose is here in this confusing budget document. 
um, is to give Congress all the reasons they need to not cut the money that's being proposed. Um, but I don't know and haven't been able to find out, and you haven't been able to find out what the status is of the NIST budget proposal. So I would say that since no one is uh, yet saying that it's too late that the budget has been adopted, that there's still time for people to contact their representatives and urge them to maintain funding for these stations. Um, and and uh, you mentioned they've got a big anniversary coming up. Yeah. Um, if you go to the WWV website, uh, they don't talk about shutting down. They talk about 2019 being <clears throat> their 100th anniversary, and the WWV is the longest continually operating radio station in the United States. So let's see. How should we celebrate our centennial of being continuously on the air? Hey, let's shut it down. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah. And every every time I tried to ask somebody, it's like, well, you, you, you have to talk to my supervisor. Well, you have to talk to my supervisor. And and, and I just got nowhere. But um, it's, uh, yeah, our... our I put together in our October issue um, about a almost two-page analysis of the ridiculousness of this proposal and the, the, the different things that uh, are on different pages of the proposal that are basically self-contradictory. Um, so... Uh, yeah, you know, I have here the logic behind the proposed cuts is mystifying, as is the structure of the report, which on one hand explains how these services are essential to the country and cannot be duplicated by anyone else, and on the other hand proposes significant cuts to those very programs. Yeah, that's the only uh, thing I can figure was, you know, they're they're trying to say, you know, okay, you can cut this, you know, and, and, and if you do, fifty million devices are going to quit working. Right. <laughs> do you really want to do that? Do um, you? And this is, I, I haven't been able to dig up the specifics, but I seem to remember that this has happened before. Um, maybe six or seven years ago, I seem to remember that there was a similar proposal to shut down the WWVs. Um, and that they were successful in getting Congress to retain the funding for it. And uh, I did some looking back and couldn't find the specifics of it, but uh, I, I do believe this is not the first time this has happened. Okay, very good. Well, we're running a little over time here, so we're going to stop and take a break, and we'll come back. We'll talk a little CQ Worldwide and take your calls live. If you have those, I'll go ahead and give you the phone number. It's 812-638-4261. That's the number you can call when we come back with Rich Moses and W2VU from CQ Magazine right here on Ham Talk Live after these words from ICOM.
For the love of the holidays, surprise your favorite ham this season with the gift that's on their hot list. The holidays are just around the corner and ICOM has plenty of cheer for everyone. The IC7610, the SDR every ham wants, and just in time for the holidays. This high-performance SDR has the ability to pick out the faintest of signals, even in the presence of stronger adjacent ones. The ICOM IC7610 is a direct sampling software defined radio that will change the world's definition of an SDR transceiver. It has RF direct sampling, 110 dB RMDR, and dual digicel. The IC7300 is changing the way entry-level HF is designed. This high-performance innovative HF transceiver with a compact design will far exceed your expectations. It includes RF direct sampling, 15 discrete bandpass filters, a large 4.3-inch color touchscreen, real-time spectrum Spectrum scope and SD memory card slot. The ICR30 is raising the bar on DC to daylight receivers. Powerful yet easy to use, the ICR30 is packed full of features you have come to expect from ICOM. The perfect stocking stuffer, the ID51A Plus 2, provides new modes for extended D-Star coverage. Enjoy integrated GPS, independent AM-FM receiver, and free Android apps. For all of these products and more ICOM radios, visit icomamerica.com amateur for more information join the conversation call us on voice with skype at ham talk live or give us a call at 812 net ham one that's 812-638-4261 now here's more ham talk live listening to ham talk live gives me a real standing wave ratio Thanks to Icom America for sponsoring the show again tonight, and we're on the air every Thursday night at 9 p.m. Eastern Time, right here at HamTalkLive.com. Be sure to check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. It's time for your calls now, so if you have a question or a comment uh, for Rich, give us a call at 812-NET-HAM-1. That's 812-638-4261, or you can call us... Um, on Skype, at least tonight you can, uh, at ham talk live. And, and hopefully we'll, we'll figure out what, what's going to happen with that. And, uh, you can also tweet us over at ham talk live on Twitter as well. And, uh, we were going to talk a little bit about CQ worldwide. So while we're waiting on the calls to come in here, rich, uh, let, let's talk about CQ worldwide. It sounds like we had similar experiences. We were able to to get on at different times though, but didn't get the whole uh, weekend in, but uh, we were able to get on the air and make some pretty good contacts. Yeah. You know, one of the great things about contests is that uh, they really give you a demonstration of what the bands truly are like um, at any given time. You know, this, we're at the bottom of the sunspot cycle right now. And supposedly the upper HF bands are, are dead. Don't even bother going there. Except that during contests. (laughs) 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 And, um, 
because you know when when I got on Saturday morning, I got on mid morning. Um, Twenty meters was packed, and I, I have a, a small lot here, and I can I run a hundred watts in a multi band vertical, and that's about all I can fit here. Um, and uh, I can't compete with the bigger signals at the bottom of the sun cycle in particular when on 20 meters it just i don't get through i went through the band once made no contacts and said i'm going to try 15 even though it's supposed to be dead and you know i went up to 15 and sure enough there was only one signal that i could hear on the band but it was loud and it was delta 4 charlie in cape verde islands that's 3500 miles away from me so this is not a dead band when the only signal you hear is from a station 3,500 miles away from you. I worked him, so he heard me as well as I heard him, and then started going up the band. And as I was tuning up, I was hearing stations starting to come up out of the noise. It's always one of my favorite things in a contest is watching a band wake up. Um, when it wakes up to 3,500 miles, it's not dead. Um, and later on in the afternoon, I did some had some very nice contacts on 10 meters, which, you know, all the so-called experts will tell you, oh, don't even bother with 10 meters and anything except local contacts for the next four years. Well, I worked all over Central and South America and the Caribbean. No, I didn't work Europe and Asia on 10 meters. It's all north-south. But there was plenty of good DX to be worked. I uh, got every zone in Central and South America, except for Zone 10. I think the Peruvians were asleep. Um, but uh, there's plenty of DX out there. Uh, interesting question as to whether contests make their own propagation. I, I'm going to be suggesting in my December editorial, which I just finished writing, that maybe that's a good topic for some actual scientific research. Um, we have the tools for it with things like the Reverse Beacon Network and Whisper um, to actually see. see my, my feeling is that even at the bottom of the sunspot cycle, there are openings. They may not be of as long duration or as long distance as you get during better parts of the cycle, but they're there. It's just that there, it's kind of like, you know, what if you gave a party and nobody came? Nobody's on to know about the openings. They're either all just listening and not transmitting, or they're off on other bands. Um, what happens during a contest is the stations are there and they're transmitting. So anytime there is an opening, somebody's there to take advantage of it, and other people hear them, and, and you have a lot of good DX going on. It, it would be a fascinating thing to do a scientific study of uh, actual band openings that maybe nobody knows about on the upper HF bands during the bottom of the sunspot cycle. Um, my feeling is they're there and we're just missing them because we're not on the air calling CQ. Well, Nathaniel, if you're listening, maybe that's your next research topic. <laughs> <laughs> once, once this, uh, 
solar eclipse uh, data is all processed. Maybe maybe you can gra- grab uh, hold of, of some data on this over at uh, NJIT. Uh, but uh, sounds like we had a, kind of a similar experience. I think I had, you know, like you said, all the zones north to south, but uh, not much... Uh, not much over toward Europe, but um, it was a fun time. And and talk a little bit about CQ's uh, sponsorship of of that one. Well, I mean, we've been sponsoring the CQ worldwide since oh the late nineteen forties. You know, it's it's the biggest contest in the world. And in fact, as far as we can figure out, it is the largest participation sporting event that there is. Um, we get typically about 15,000 logs in each of the CW and SSB contests. And then there's all the people they talk to because not everyone sends in a log, but you will see close to a hundred thousand different call signs show up in these logs. And there's really no other sporting event that has that kind of participation in it. And, uh, of course, we have the, the unique capability on radio for the participants in this event to be scattered over the entire planet. Um, so it's, it's a, a tremendous opportunity to showcase what we can do with ham radio. Um, you know, contesting is, is part of CQ's blood uh, has been from the beginning. The CQ Worldwide is is the number one contest in the world in terms of participation. The CQ WPX contest is number two. We also have our RIDI contests, two of them, uh, CQ Worldwide and WPX, and our 160 meter contest and our VHF contest, um, our um, fox hunting weekend, and the all year long DX marathon. So we encourage people to get on the air and operate, do stuff uh, either competitively or just, you know, to work your own, to to compete against yourself perhaps, if not uh, against your friends and and other hams. We have a, a whole bunch of DX awards as well for various accomplishments in terms of talking to a certain number of countries or counties. We have the USA Counties Award, um, the DX Field Award for making uh, contacts with a certain number of grid fields, which are the large, you know, like EN is a field. Um, And uh, WPX Award and, uh, of course, the Worked All Zones Award, WAZ. That's the second oldest award program in amateur radio, only behind uh, Worked All Continents. So from our earliest days, CQ has uh, been promoting getting on the air, having fun, improving your skills and your station by competing either with yourself or with others to make the most of the hobby and of your capabilities so that when the time comes that your services are needed to help other people, you're not just starting to learn how to use the gear. 
you know how to use it. You know what you can do with it. You know what bands to be on, and you know how to get a message through. And that's that's really what all this is about, besides being fun. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Uh, KD9HQT uh, chimes in here on chat. Uh, 15 meters always seems to be the uh, least active band since uh, he gets S7 QRM, but uh, uh, today there's nothing, and then uh, all of a sudden Spain shows up uh, and uh, got him on one shot. So you, you just never know. You, you throw your call out there and see what you get. I mean, that's that's the, the marvels of HF propagation. Um, and you see it on 15, you see it on, on 10 and 12, and sometimes on 6, although 6 you're dealing with sporadic E more than uh, F-layer propagation except during the peaks of the sunspot cycles. Um, that's that's the fun. You know, it's like fishing. You, you cast your line out and you never know what's going to bite. It may be nothing, um, or it may be some very far away station, and that's that's the joy of ham radio to me. Yeah, I agree. 812-638-4261 is the phone number. We're just about to finish up here, so uh, if you're going to make a call, uh, do that right now, 812-638-4261. And, um, Rich, uh, remind everybody the the website and and how they can find CQ Magazine in case they want to read that that editorial uh, about... uh, contesters making their own propagation that that sounds intriguing um to to me to read anyway so i'm sure it does some others our website is uh, www.cq-amateur-radio.com and remember to spell amateur correctly it's e-u-r not u-e-r um and there you can find uh Ways to subscribe. Um, our editorials are always on the website as well. This is the December editorial, so it won't be up for another month yet. Um, and uh, you can find out about subscribing to our print edition, our digital edition, um, and uh, all sorts of other goodies. We've got calendars, we've got books, we've got DVDs, lots of stuff. And, and, and of course... Oh, go ahead. Best magazine, of course, and and we've got uh, another one of your your writers coming on the show as, as he usually does. Uh, he doesn't wear the Doctor Seuss hat when he's on the show, at least that I know of. But uh, but I know uh, it's radio, Joe's, so you Joe's never know. Be, yep, yep, you never know. But uh, Joe's going to be on here. I believe it's in two weeks uh, to talk about some. Uh, kits for the holidays so we'll we'll look forward to joe being on here and you can catch his kit building uh, article in cq magazine as well uh we do have another uh mention on the chat here uh troy simpson w9kvr said uh we need uh during school club roundup we need to get some more schools on so we can get some propagation so uh, <laughs> maybe that would Sounds work like a good idea yeah <laughs> School Club Roundup was terrible propagation, absolutely terrible this year. But uh, 
we, we still found a way to, to get some contacts and, and we finally got through to Alaska that, that there's a school up in Alaska, Don, um, uh, gallon is up there uh, kl7 dg i think is his call um and he always tries to get on um with his school kids and after school it's pretty late uh for us uh, over here in the eastern time zone but uh we were able to finally pull it off after four nights of horrible propagation um so maybe we need some more it would be good <laughs> And uh, let's see, Troy says, we got on during sideband. Your nine land record is safe. Okay, good. <laughs> I, I feel better now. So, <laughs> Well, Rich, thanks so much for coming on the show. It's always great to uh, visit with you. It seems like uh, we're both too busy at Dayton, and, and I hardly get to see you. But Huntsville, we usually end up uh, uh, getting to talk a little bit, and it's great yep. to see you and Jason uh at Huntsville again and uh, look forward to seeing you again soon and and thanks for coming on and and you're welcome back anytime. My pleasure. I really enjoyed it and uh, look forward to next time. All right. Well, that is a wrap for this week's edition of Ham Talk Live. Thanks to Rich Moses and W2VU and everybody out there in cyberspace for listening and calling in. And, oh, Joe's on next week. I uh, invite you back next Thursday night at 9 p.m. when Joe Eisenberg, K0NEB, will be here to talk about kits for the holidays. So uh, if you want to know who the upcoming guests are, you just go to hamtalklive.com and you can click on the uh, show schedule link there and find out who's coming up next. And if you like Ham Talk Live, please uh, leave us a review on uh, Face or on uh, iTunes or uh, wherever you listen. That helps others uh, find us faster. And and you can like us on Facebook and and Twitter as well. Uh, so this is Neil Rapp, WB9 VPG for now, saying seven three seven five, and may the good DX be yours. Don't